Today's podcast is brought to you by Wellborn Cabinet, kitchen and bath cabinetry made in the USA. Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about sales training for non-sales people with the help of special guest, Jeff Borovitz of Sandler Training in San Francisco, California. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, everyone out there. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Just a... Continual reminder to send ideas in to me at tim at remodelersadvantage.com. In August, we're actually going to be doing two uh, podcasts that um, are the direct response to a question that was sent in by a listener. So I encourage you to do that. Also, if you sent something in like six or eight months ago and you haven't heard anything about it, send it again because sometimes that stuff gets lost in the in the morass of information. So many years ago, I attended a seminar with a trainer from Sandler Training, and they were talking uh, to a group of lead carpenters and project managers. Now, this meeting was in the Washington, D.C. area. It was run by Remodelers Advantage. It's one of the things that Remodelers Advantage has always done well. They've tried to help companies with everything about their business, including the uh, production side. Now, as I was sitting there listening, I was thinking about, like, this is sales training. What has it got to do with production? But I kept hearing these little tips. I heard things, and I don't know if everybody else got anything out of it, but I kept hearing these little things, and I would go like, oh, yeah, that would be important. That's cool. That's a great idea. And I came away from it with uh, a greater appreciation for, the, for what I believe is a fact that even production staff really needs good training in, and we can call it sales, but we might just call it people relationships and therefore then, you know, the sale gets made. So I'm not gonna share any of those with you because I don't wanna steal our guest thunder today. I'm not even sure if he'll talk about the things that hit me. But I just want everybody to understand, I think there's such a fantastic opportunity here. The challenge, as I mentioned in a podcast previous to this, is if you ask a project manager or a lead carpenter, are you a salesman? They'll go, oh, no, I'm not a salesman. That's like a dirt, don't call me that dirty word, you know? And uh, I think we have to get past that with everybody and get them uh, engaged in some training. And so... It's, it's clear to everybody, I think, that our production staff faces sales situations every day. And I'm just gonna list a few. We're gonna come back to them and have our guest kind of talk about some of them as we get into the interview. But what about that tough conversation with a client about a change order, you know? And, and a lot of production people are going like, oh, we should have seen this. And, and they're really, it's hard for them to have that conversation, but they need to know how to deal with that kind of situation. What about an idea that comes up that really will make the project a whole lot better, but 
it's going to cost a lot too. And so that conversation, and then the one that I, I find really fascinating, I hear from business owners quite often that their, their project managers and lead carpenters report to them every week on the, the mental state of the client. And I, I sometimes wonder like, do they really know what the client's thinking? And how do you really find out like on a weekly basis, is the client delighted or are they verging on, you know, we can't stand you and, and somewhere in between. And so I'm kind of interested, like, is there a way to ask the right questions so that we find out what are they really thinking? So I'm really excited about this today. I think, I hope it comes across to everybody that I get excited about these podcasts. I'm really excited about this. And I'm really anxious to uh, maybe whet some appetites out there for some folks, maybe to get some of their staff some training so that they're more equipped on the job site. Steve? All right. So our guest today is known for triple digit revenue and profit increases with 28 years of experience as an award-winning quota busting salesperson, sales manager, general manager, and small business owner. Jeff Borowitz has been on thousands of face-to-face -face sales calls and has dialed the phone over 100,000 times to schedule appointments, follow up, and close sales. He has trained over 1,000 salespeople as a tr sales trainer for three of the largest sales training companies in the world. Jeff has advised, trained, and coached small and medium-sized companies as well as large enterprise companies on developing strong sales teams, closing more sales, and leading organizational change. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, I'm glad to be here. So uh, just listening to that bio, I'm just hearing all these production people. I don't wanna make 100,000 phone calls. <laughs> so obviously I think this is a great topic. Um, so just in a nutshell, Jeff, give us what Sandler training is. What is it as a, uh, that our, our listeners may be interested in? What Sandler training really is, is it's a communication system for communicating successfully with other human beings and how to build trust quickly, how to set the right kind of expectation so that nobody walks away with unfulfilled expectations. And certainly, especially for our, our designers and production managers, it's really important that we avoid mutual mystification. <laughs> and that everybody, because I think we can all agree the worst thing that can happen at the end of the interaction with a designer or production managers, they, is we think one thing and the customer thinks another, and everybody has all these unfulfilled expectations. So we want to make sure that we build a communication system that builds trust, gets everybody on the same page, and understands what the customer wants by putting our, what, by, you know, what we're going to do is help our, to these designers and the production managers and these non-sales folks and I use non-sales in quotes because everybody's a salesperson in some way, shape, or form. I negotiating where to go to dinner with my wife puts me back into a sales role sometimes. <laughs> and and so you wanna we one of the things that the sandwich is gonna do is teach them how to view the world through their customers' eyes and less through their own eyes. Because in the end, people make decisions based on what they want. Um, and they make decisions emotionally and justify them intellectually. Okay. And so it's really important that we understand how our customers view the world and how they feel about it. Okay, so that that's cool. I love this idea of making sure we get things clear because I don't know how many times when like when I'm talking to a remodeling business owner and their employees, 
they don't see the world in different in the same way. And so the communication is often challenging. So that's a, a great, great thing. So let's just talk about that lead carpenter, project manager, maybe a designer, uh, somebody like that. Why should they care about sales? And you may have already answered it in, in your first answer there, but is there, a, is there any other insight as to why they should keep listening to this podcast? Yeah, because they have an advantage over a traditional salesperson. When you come in as a designer or a lead carpenter or, or a, a project manager, you already have credibility with the customer because you are specialized in a skill or, or, or craft and the customer is going to value your opinion a lot more than they do some salesperson they feel like just trying to reach into their wallet. And, and so as a good project manager or designer can increase the, uh, the, the value of a project anything from 25 to 50% after the sales guy has sold it the, the real sales happens once the project manager and the designer get a hold of the, uh, of the deal and the project rather than the sales guy up front. Okay, cool. So let's, let's just kind of jump right into some of the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts here. So I, I mentioned in the intro that really tough uh, change order that the project manager may have to submit uh, to the client and they may be having all these feelings about you know, we should have seen this. Why wasn't it in the original contract? You know, those, all those kinds of things. And uh, they've got the emotion, I guess. I've heard this so many times. The client just can't afford this, right? But it has to be done because we can't put that wall back together without fixing the rod. It's just, it just has to be there. So walk us through uh, how that conversation might go and if you can, maybe uh, give us an illustration like Sandler teaches, you know, set this up first and then, then move to this phase and then move to this phase, if, if there is something like that. Yeah, so Sandler has, Sandler has something called an upfront contract. Okay. Uh, and that upfront, that upfront contract is something that is done continually and should be done continually with every communication with the customer. And so one of the, one of the techniques of an upfront contract, and we can get into what an upfront contract is later, but one of the techniques of an upfront contract is uh, to set the, set the stage by, I would even start as a, if I had that big change order, you know, hey, Tim, I, there's something I have to talk to you about. Um, and truthfully, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned that you're going to become quite upset when I tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and setting that, that biggest fear up front, right? Letting them know that you're no more anxious to have this discussion than they are, <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely necessary and critical that we have the discussion and get, and, and when you, and you do this, this pause after you, after you give them this, this, this opening statement or this biggest fear and you give them this pause and they're going to say, most people are going to say, okay, go ahead. You're giving them a chance by the reason for the pause. It's not a, it's not a, a play on anything. The reason for the pause is to give them time in their head to get ready to receive this news. That obviously isn't great news for them, but you've got to give them the chance to get ready for it. If you just, 
hit them with it, they're going to have a very visceral reaction that isn't always good. Um, but by giving them time to prepare, and it's just a moment, but by giving them time to prepare, they're in their head, they're getting ready for bad news. And they're more able to couch it, cushion it, and think about it before they respond. And they're most likely respond, they're more likely to respond intellectually than emotionally. Okay, so go ahead and go ahead and tell us what the upfront contract is and then illustrate how it might come into play as you're getting started in this conversation with the change order. Sure. Uh, an upfront contract is simply an upfront agreement for how things are going to go. I'm a, Tim, I'm a baseball fan and uh, I've really missed baseball this year. I'm hoping <laughs> that we actually get to see some. Yeah. But, uh, I'm also an umpire here locally. And I, I umpire for Little League travel ball and high school and college ball. And at, at a baseball game, at a, when you umpire, you have a plate meeting before the game. The umpires and the two managers of the two teams meet, and we discuss the lineups, we discuss the rules, and we discuss the ground rules specific to that park. So here where I live, just outside of San Francisco in San Ramon, if you're playing in Athens Downs, there's a big oak tree that overhangs right field. And a couple times a year, a ball will hit the branch in fair territory that overhangs the right field. So what we do is we talk about what's going to happen when the ball hits the branch. And every so that when it does happen two or three times a year, uh, that nobody's surprised by the call and there's no arguments. And that's all we're going to do. An upfront contract at the beginning of every communication is a setting of the ground rules. Then we get mutual agreement with the customer on the setting of those ground rules. And we're going to agree on really four key things, which is, the purpose of why we're having the communication, right? Why, why are we talking? The agenda, both what we want to talk about and what they want to talk about. And quite honestly, their agenda is much more important than ours. Um, and the logistics, how long is the meeting going to last? Uh, what, who's bringing what to the meeting? And where are we having it is kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> and what time is it going to start, right? And who's attending? And because oftentimes we want to make sure that we get both the husband and the wife there. Right. Because we don't want to get into this situation. Of, oh, I have to check with my husband. I have to check with my wife. That's my wife's big line. When we, we have rental properties uh, in multiple States and when we do projects on them and the pro and the project managers, and, you know, the remodeler calls my wife, her famous line is, oh, I'll have to check with my husband. <laughs> my wife is an incredibly capable woman. Uh, who does not need to check with me to make a decision, but it's an easy put off for her. And the smart, the, the really smart contractors are good at getting, making sure that all the decision makers are in the, in the meeting at the same time, whether they're in, in Zoom or in person, doesn't really matter, but making sure they're all there at the same time. And then finally, the last part of the upfront contract is the outcome. What is the outcome that's going to happen at the end of this meeting? What decision is going to be made? And so an outcome might be a no, and right. that's a perfectly okay answer. An outcome could be a yes, and an outcome could be taking an agreement to take the next step like a design contract right. or to approve a change order. Um, and that's okay, but what we don't want and what the upfront contract really uh, avoids, if you do it successfully, is the, let me think it over, let me get back to you, put off, which is really, in many times, a no, but, they, but you're a nice person, they don't want to say no to you. Um, 
And, okay. and so that's all that the upfront contract really is. It's a communication tool. Okay, so the change order. I'm, I'm standing in front of a client. I've got this big change order. It's something that I know has to be done in order for the job to continue. Um, how does the upfront contract work in that scenario? Well, first of all, I want to talk about what we don't do. Okay, go ahead. What we, what we don't do, and I've seen this done because I've had it done to me. <laughs> well, we tore up, the, we tore up the, the kitchen and did the demo. And, uh, yeah, you've got a bunch of dry rot uh, running across over here by the sink and then over here by where the dishwasher was. Yeah, we're going to need to replace this uh, floor, and it's going to cost – we're going to need to replace this stuff floor, do some work because some of the beams underneath are also dry rotted, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost uh, $5,000. <laughs> you know what? I can hear this. I can, I can hear it on the job site. This is so good. All right, go ahead, Jeff. How, how do we deal with it, really? So that's, a, that's not giving anybody any time to prep for it, right? So how you really would deal with it is, hey, Tim, I've got some bad news, and I'm afraid that when I tell you, you're going to be upset. Okay. All right. I'm going to pause, give Tim a set to say, okay, or go ahead, whatever Tim's going to say. And then I'm going to say, Hey, unfortunately, and this happens sometimes, um, when we tore up the kitchen floor, we found some dry rot. Let me show you, right? Because you have to make sure that you're communicating with people, people take in the world three ways, visually, uh, through what they see, auditory, through what they hear, and kinesthetically through what they touch and feel. And you don't necessarily know what your person's primary uh, way of taking the world is in is. And so when we take them over, if they can live with it, they're auditory, us telling them about it's good enough. But if they're visual, they need to see it. And we've got to show them what the dry rod is, what it looks like, why it's bad. And then if they're kinesthetic, they may, they may bend down and touch it. And that's totally fine. But we got to give them a way to take the world in, in a way that they're comfortable and accustomed to. And then we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, here's how the different options are to replace it. We, here's why not replacing it is not a good option. Because we can't pass, we can't pass inspection while this is still going, while this is still here. Right? Uh, but we have these two choices to fix it. And we're going to give them how we want to fix it. And, uh, and then we're going to ask them for an outcome, right? A decision. Did you want to do, do you want to fix it like this or did you want to fix it like that? And, and we're not going to give them any other option because at that point there isn't one. But by doing this, it takes away mutual mystification and makes it more comfortable for the customer. Okay, cool. This is fantastic. Well, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. When it comes to home cabinetry, trust the name that sets the standard, Wellborn Cabinet Incorporated. Founded in 1961 and proudly made in the USA, Wellborn Cabinet is 100% vertically integrated, from the sawmill to construction to the nationwide deliveries made by the Wellborn Transportation Team. Offering both framed and frameless lines, the choice for all of your kitchen cabinetry needs is simple, Wellborn Cabinet. Okay, Jeff, so you mentioned that uh, at the beginning that uh, you can increase the value of the project by 
being a good salesperson. Well, I think of incentives and commissions when I think of a salesperson. So what is that incentive and commission when you're teaching a project manager how to sell, whether that's either staying on budget on schedule or what, what can I relay to the project manager why these skills are important? Well, these skills are really important to have happy customers that give us referrals. The best people, so the, the best lead we can get as a remodeler is a referral. I, I think we can all agree on that. And, and, and the salespeople are not generally great at getting referrals because they don't interact as much with the customer as the designer does and as the production manager does. And so these skills are really important uh, to develop and I don't really even think of it as sales as much as I think of it as customer management skills. Um, because if we're managing our customer well, as a project manager or as a designer, we're able to get build really good rapport uh, and trust with people, which makes, which makes the discussion around, hey, do you know anybody else? Are you part of any organization? Whatever, that are going to allow us to get more business from those customers. Which, by the way, as a product, as a product, as a project manager or a designer, if you can bring that new business uh, by way of referrals into the company, how's how's that going to impact you? How's, if you're going to have job security, uh, owner of the company might be pretty happy with you, <laughs> and all of a sudden, sales guys are your bet are going to think you're their best friend. And, and same with the designer. So, so I, I don't even I think it more about communication and customer management than I do sales. And so I almost hate calling it sales uh, for, for these folks because it's, it's really doing their job in a way that creates what I call raving fans. So let's, let's go back. Uh, I want you to imagine that I have a weekly meeting with my client. Uh, and it's one of the things that we're really encouraging people to do. Uh, a lot of what you mentioned in terms of the upfront contract, there's the time, there's the agenda. It has all that stuff on there. And um, one of the things that's kind of come to me recently, in fact, it came through a podcast, was just trying to find out how the client is really feeling during that time. And so do you have any ideas on how, like a project manager, or even a, a lead carpenter who's working on the job every day, you know, talks to him a couple of times a week, what, what can they do, like, what kind of questions can they ask? What kind of, um, uh, I, I don't know, maybe uh, just, uh, I guess it's just question. What can they do to really find out I'm not really happy? Or, you know what? There is no way I could be happier, you know? And so how can they really find out how the client's going? Because I know one of the things I've learned about myself recently is that I tend to be way too optimistic. I think things are going wonderful, you know, and everything's great. And then somebody just slams me up beside the head and says, you know what, this is the pits. <laughs> and so I'd like to know further up the road that it's the pits, then wait for it to actually happen. So any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it really comes down to viewing the world for your customer's eyes. Okay. Um, and trying to understand how they feel. Listen, if you're doing a kitchen project, and we redid our kitchen and moved walls a few years ago, uh, what, three years ago now, and the, the remodeler we used was fantastic at this part of it, at how it was impacting us. He was continually asking, right? He, uh, you know, and one day I, can't, I, I walked in about 
about four o'clock and they were finishing up cleaning up and they had sheeted off one, our family room uh, because they were taking down walls and there's all kinds of dust. And um, for my son, uh, who at the time was 14, uh, that was the worst thing they could have done in our house. <laughs> worse than, than tearing up the kitchen because his Xbox is in that room. And, and so these guys cut a slit in, the, in there and installed a temporary zipper yep. so that my son could come home from school, unzip, walk in there, zip back up, and, and play his game, in, which made for a happier 14-year-old. And if you have teenagers, you know that that's rare. And, and, and so having them be happier made our lives easier, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, every week when we had our weekly meeting, uh, Hassan, who was the lead carpenter on the job uh, and project manager, he did, a, he did a great job of meeting with me, telling me, here's what we did this week. Here's what we're going to do next week, right? And did he maybe sandbag a little bit to say that they weren't going to do quite as much as they intended to do? Possibly. But the fact that he got everything done, he told me he was going to get done, made me really happy. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, and I'm okay with that. And he would ask the question, how are you guys, and this is a big question, how are you guys coping? Is there anything else we can do for you to make it a little bit easier on you? I know it's a big disruption. And he'd end every weekly meeting with that question. And it's a great question because it gives me a chance to say, oh, man, you know, my wife is just on the warpath about the fact that you guys aren't sweeping up as well as you could and dogs walking through areas and tracking sawdust through the house, right? And, and or no, everything's great. You guys clean up, sweep up every day. Uh, we really like that, you know? And, uh, you know, it gives, them a chance, gives, gives the customer a chance to, to tell you what they're feeling. Most people will tell you if you ask in the right way. Yeah, but you have I love, to ask I love that. I love that word coping. I, that's yeah. one I hadn't really thought about before, but it's a great, it's a word that everybody understands that if I'm not doing well, I should speak up because coping, not just how are you doing? You know, that's not enough. That's not clear enough. So I love that question about how, how are you coping? And I think coping is a, a key word there, Tim, because it, it Listen, anytime you come in and you tear up a bathroom, you tear up, you, you tear up a kitchen or you tear down walls or do any kind of remodel, it's a disruption to the homeowner's life that they're living in the house. And even if they move out of the house, it's still a disruption to their life. And so it's, it, coping is a key word because it means we know you're not going to be 100% thrilled all the time. But are we doing everything we can to help you and how can we help more? And that's the message that coping word sends. I think it's a key, key way of, of communicating effectively with, with your homeowners. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So just again, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I picked up a few things at this uh, training and um, is there any other, are there any other like concepts in the, the Sandler world that you feel like would be really good to, to bring out here and how they would impact you know, on the job site or the designers or, you know, other people that interact with the clients? Yeah, I think that it's really important that we, that our project managers use the upfront contract when they're dealing with the trades or subcontractors that they're bringing onto a job. 
Um, because under, setting a good upfront contract that includes what the, the, you know, hey, here's what I expect the job site to look like at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I don't expect you guys to leave your garbage all over the place because you're not done. I expect you guys to clean up. And here's what cleanup looks like, clearly defining it. What I think is one of the big things I see and one of the main reasons customers get unhappy is not so much the the, the remodeler, it's their subs that they bring in yeah. that are not at the same level of, as their employees that are working for them. And, you know, and, and when the subs leave the place a mess, it's going to tick off the homeowner. So let me ask and you this, Jeff. You, Maybe you're getting ready to finish it, but I've, I've had a lot of experiences where I said those words, but I never got the agreement. And so comment about how do you get the sub to say, yes, I will do that. Yeah, well, that's part of that upfront contract is the outcome section, which is where we get mutual agreement. And, we, and that's where there's a difference between restating and paraphrasing. So when we paraphrase something, it's putting in our own words what somebody just said. And that's okay, except that when you restate, it's using the words back to them that they just used to you and using their words. And here's the, here's the just, if there's one thing to take away from today other than using an upfront contract, which you should absolutely do, is yeah. to restate because people rarely argue with their own words. They will often argue with your words. Ah, and so that's cool. if you use their words back to them, they will not argue with those. And they will keep their agreements when they're done in their words. What we find is 80% of the time, people keep their agreements when, they, when, they, when, you're, when you restate using their own words back to them. They only keep those 20% of the time when we paraphrase and put into our words. And so that's a huge difference. I, I had a contractor... Uh, that I do some training for that had brought in some subs and they were remodeling a really big place in an area up here called Blackhawk. It's about a $6 million, uh, $7 million home. And they were doing a remodel and part of that remodel for whatever reason, there's a tree that grows through the middle of the kitchen. I don't know why, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but there's a tree that grows through the middle of the kitchen. They were remodeling the kitchen, changing the floor plan. The tree was not to be touched. Right. And when he told the, they, de they, they subbed out the demo and he told the guy, do not touch the tree. And then he said, clear out everything. Understand? <laughs> and the guy said, clear out everything. Understand. Right. Well, clear out everything to the sub meant take the tree down. Right. And so when they, when they came, when the contractor came back at the end of the day, guess what was no longer there? The tree in the middle of the kitchen. <sighs> and this greatly upset the homeowner. Sure. And, but I'll tell you, it was the contractor's fault. Yeah. He did not get a restatement of don't touch the tree. So in, so, so in this case, does the contractor say what you just said was sure everything goes but that's not really i mean because obviously the the trade wasn't giving him back the information that would confirm that the tree stayed so how does that how does that interplay work if you're not getting that agreement 
So let's 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 role play it if you would, Tim. Can we role play okay. that? Sure, we can try. You'll be the you'll be the sub. I'll be the contractor. Oh hey, my goodness. Tim, okay. uh, I need you to. I, the tree cannot be touched. Okay, the tree has to stay. Everything go. Everything else go. All right, so I'm taking okay. everything out, right? Except for the tree. The tree stays. What's the big deal about the tree? The homeowner wants the tree to stay. So I am wrapping this tree with this yellow tape. And you are not to touch anything that has yellow tape. Anything that doesn't have yellow tape goes. So I'm supposed to cut, take everything out of there except that tree? That's correct. Okay. I think I got it now. You know, by making sure we have clarity and clearly, what I call a clearly defined future, then we avoid the subs doing things unintentionally. And by the way, most subs are good folks. They just yeah. don't get, they, they don't understand the information clearly because we don't always communicate it clearly and they make mistakes. Okay, so we got, we got that. We got probably got time for one more idea or concept that would come out of some training that might help somebody uh, that's not a salesperson you got another so one my one of, yeah one of the biggest pet peeves that remodelers tell me about is that their teams end up doing a lot of free unpaid work on change on small change orders and other things and that it's a it's mind-boggling to me i mean when we did our kitchen my wife's a master at it right <laughs> i came home and they were supposed to be gone by they were supposed to be gone by noon I came home at three o'clock and she had the guys hanging pictures in the family room. The family room was not part of the job. Hanging pictures was not part of the job, but because she was nice to them and she had brought <laughs> lunch in a couple times and she had made sure on the hot days they had cold Gatorade and cold water. Uh, yeah. They liked her. So they did things for her. Right? right. One of the things we always need to remember is that customers are always looking for something free. Okay. And and we want to make sure we're in business. When we are going to do something for a customer, we should get something back for a customer. And not, so just, cold, not just cold Gatorade. Not just cold Gatorade, right? Okay, Listen, cool. does, does it mean every change order has to be paid for? If it's any kind of substance of work, it does. Yeah. Um, and and there, there should be no hesitancy about doing that because we are so, in, the in the business of satisfying our customers and we do that through a through labor, which has a cost to it. And so, how does that work from a sales perspective? Then, when they ask you for something, oh, no problem. We're happy to do it. Here, that that will require a change order, right? And asking for that change order, and just hey, happy to do it. Here's how much it's going to cost, right? It's not. We're not trying to nickel and dime them to death. I'm not saying if they say, oh, can you tighten this screw on my on this wall plate? No, I'm not saying that, right? right. But, oh, hey, you know, while you're here, can right. you guys uh, can you guys put the mantle back up? Well, that's going to take an hour or two. That's not a two-minute job, right? And so right. I think that's really, really important that we make sure that we get paid for it. And sometimes, you know, uh, customers don't even realize that they're doing it. They're just used so to doing it. See if you like this idea, Jeff. This is something I've been trying to teach project managers and lead carpenters is that when a client asks for something, you say something like, I'm sure we can do it, but it'll add more money to the contract and add more time. Would you like me to see how much? Is that a, is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. 
And, and I like the fact he's saying, I'm sure we can do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and the only thing I would add is, is it important enough to you that you want me to check on that? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I love that. Hey, it's going to have more time, more money. Is it important enough to you that you want me to check on it? Because yep. they may say, no, 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 it's not important. <laughs> and that's right. okay. So it saves you time. Right. And that's, yep. and that's huge. So I, what, I, what last thing I want to add to him is, you know, we have a class for remodelers advantage called our customer management class. Oh, We're okay. launching. It's 11 weeks long. It's for specifically for project managers, lead carpenters and designers that are not salespeople, but how to effectively manage the customer through using some of the Sandler techniques to clear up our communication and help us be more profitable on the job. It's 11 weeks long. It starts in, uh, the class starts the week after Labor Day in September. Uh, so okay. plenty of time to sign up. And it is a, it is a limited, uh, a limited class size. So, uh, but okay. it's something it's up on the remodelers advantage site already. Cool. Jeff, real quick. The, uh, I mean, I love the upfront contract. I think that anybody can use that in any meeting you do phone meeting, in-person meeting. But what I learned, uh, about the upfront contract, and I'll let you expound on this is that it works the decision-making muscle of the client or person. So when you, are constantly using the upfront contract. Well, we, we can meet on this time when you're going over the outcome. Uh, the decision making is, you know, they're, they're working on making decisions. It makes it easier. So, I mean, a little bit more on that because that's so important in a project or making those decisions. Yeah, and, and, a, a, and especially the project manager or designer, every meeting has a decision that has to be made at the, at the, at the end of it. And so we want well, and getting the customer used to making decisions is that probably other than after we build trust, um, that's the second biggest part of what we do in Sandler is teach you how to get the customer used to making decisions to uh, yes or no to move forward or not move forward with something. And I, what I'll tell you is that you want to stay on time on budget in a project, <laughs> get good at getting your customers to make decisions because nothing will kill time like the, oh, let us think about it and talk to you. Uh, and, and by the way, what we, one of the things we're going to show them in, in the customer management class is you should have an upfront contract that starts at the beginning of your communication. And there should be a new upfront contract that happens at the end of your communication that becomes the opening upfront contract for your next communication. Oh. So that you're, before, when you, when you're, if we're, if Tim and I are meeting every week on Friday, talking about what we did this week and what's coming next week, my closing upfront contract at the end of Friday's meeting on the third would be my opening upfront contract for what's happening on the tenth when we meet. And so cool. it's already putting into mind the customer's the customer's mind the decision that's going to have to be made on the tenth, and you're not just throwing it at them unexpectedly. They know it's coming. Well, Jeff, this has been so cool. And I'm just sitting here going like, I think we got like 1% of what the possibilities are uh, for this. And, um, but again, I just want to encourage the listeners to, uh, you know, take some time to think about the possibilities here. And, and I just want to, I want to thank you, Jeff, for being on with us. It's been great learning for me. I took down some notes and stuff and, uh, I, I just, I get, just thank you a lot. 
Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been fantastic. I really had fun. Love to do it again sometime. Yeah. And Jeff, I'm going to have nightmares about that tree removal story. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> thank you, guys. So, Tim, uh, I've, I took so much from this, and I will tell you that I, I love the word mutual mystification. That one is huge. That's uh, big for me, yeah, too. Big one. And, and, yeah, the, um, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the upfront contracts from somebody that has, I've had some Sandler training and that I cannot stress enough how important that is on the decision-making side, but just the cadence of communication in a project, getting things known. The biggest problem is lack of communication in projects and, you know, just his story with the tree spoke to that, but, uh, you know, that's, that will, it will absolutely cure some of that. Uh, some of those issues. Yeah, I think one of the things that I wanted to just remind and 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 let everybody uh, that hit me that I've been thinking about a lot is learn how to think like the client. And I think you know the podcast we did with the company from Arizona, they did a great job of of thinking like how would the client respond. And it's so hard for those of us who work on job sites all the time to think like a client because this is just old hat for us. This is just the same thing we've done a hundred times. Why is everybody so excited about it? You know, and to stop and turn around and go like, this is a once in a lifetime for many people. Uh, they lose their kitchen. They've lost their main communication center with their family. They've got all these emotions going on and we just don't see it that way. So that's the one of the big takeaways for me, uh, just learn how to think like the client thinks and then respond to that and help them tell you what they're thinking. And uh, the jobs will go a lot smoother, I'm sure, as we move forward with it. Yeah, and uh, to your point at the end of the uh, talk with Jeff, just get more information, see if it's for you because we did just kind of scratch the surface yeah, here. Definitely. There's so much to this. So once again, we would like to thank Jeff Borovitz for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at the Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate, ah, it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.